1: What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. All right, my verse might be weak. Suprema, sup sup Suprema
3: Roll Call. Suprema, sup sup Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, sup sup
1: Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, sup sup Suprema Roll Call. Suprema, su- su- Suprema roll call. I'm out of ideas, yeah I'm so afraid, yeah Somebody help, yeah I ain't too proud to remain no. <laughs> no. Suprema, uh, su- no. su- Suprema roll call Remix, remix play next, don't play it Suprema no. roll call My name is Fonte, yeah, yeah. I ain't trying to be funny, yeah. yeah If I'm just gonna keep it real, yeah, yeah. I like must be the money, roll call oh. Oh. Suprema, oh. Suprema. <laughs> su- 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 Suprema roll call Suprema Su- su- Suprema Roll Call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. And I got my booster. Yeah. So I could be here. Yeah. With this great producer. Roll call. Suprema. Su- 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 Suprema. Roll Call. Never of that. Suprema. Suprema su- 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 Roll Call.
0: It's Laia. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dallas Austin's music. Yeah. It's changed my life
1: Roll call Suprema so su- su- Suprema Roll call
4: Suprema 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 right it. It. Roll call My name is Dallas yeah. yeah I'm here for show Yeah I'm with Cus Love yeah. yeah Gonna give you some more Roll call Suprema Suprema, su- su- Suprema
1: Roll call Suprema, suck sup, Suprema roll call. Suprema, sup sup, Suprema roll call. Suprema, sup sup, Suprema roll call. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove. That's Fonte. Yeah. That's Lydia. Uh-huh. And that's uh, uh, Sugar Steve. <laughs> and Unpaid Bill somewhere on Sesame Street. Look, Look, I could take 12 minutes. Look. Look ain't go. too proud to bait. Sweet. Just one of them days.
0: Before you got my
1: life. Hat to the back. Nah. Hit him up style. Yeah. Aisha. Ooh. Yeah. I, I like the <laughs> way you. Know. Yo, I Sammy got like a. a yeah, yeah, he's super weird now, right? Yeah, <laughs> dog. I, I was not ready for that because he still has a baby face. Uh, Troops, I will always love you. The fucking um, oh, Motown Philly. Yeah. Must, be must be the money. I, Yo, <laughs> the must be the money. Yo. Playground. The Playground. Oh, Where'd you get that little squeaky thing? Never mind. I'm going to ask you all your production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just know that this show is more about the creative process. Yeah. So, Please don't go away man, from me. Oh, fucking, yeah. My baby's got a secret. Oh, Yo, I need some justice. Baby's got... I need some justice for Silly Ho. I oh, think yeah. <laughs> that got oh, yeah. that yeah. got <laughs> drafted. I'm sorry, the boys' mind—they don't care about us. It's time around with all that shit. <laughs> I have so many questions about. Too bad, man. Oh, Fuck, I, man yo, yeah. I was two seconds year old. I, I could have sworn I remember when I brought Tasty, and I was like, "Oh damn, okay, Pharrell and Chad, y'all, 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 y'all hooking up." i get more mature with your joint. I didn't know he did trick me. Yeah. Dog. That's one of my
4: favorite joints. Dude,
1: <laughs> I'm pretty. What about I can on. go on? What about your friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this doesn't happen often. It's going to be a super producer episode. One of the greatest producers. Just how did he get here? We don't know. <laughs> did
0: he do that song too? This is literally. Know. No, I'm sorry. I'm I, 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 I would
1: normally do oh. all these long accolades. Take 12 minutes. But, you know, that's for the seven hour Jimmy Jam episode. Yeah. you lucky oh yeah. yeah. let's get oh. to the smoke he's definitely about to do five hours he just don't know it yet anyway <laughs> ladies and gentlemen please walk <laughs> looking at Charlotte's like right he's like no you not <laughs> he out on the clock that's where I'm rushing yeah. ladies you and go. gentlemen Dallas Austin is with us sure. of course love, supreme yes
4: yes yes, yes.
1: Yeah. we are here this is our Atlanta series and uh, we we've been here for a while. I'm yeah. just wearing the same clothes every for five weeks. <laughs> okay. Shout out to Soundbite Studio. <laughs> um, how how are you, Mr. Austin? I'm good, man. I'm I'm really good. I gotta say, uh, the day that we're speaking is the 26th anniversary of the Illadelph Half Life release, of which the very song we worked on was at Darp Studios. Yeah, we did Panic and started episodes. At Darp, yep. We were just, and we cold knocked. I think we just knocked and was like, you know, can we get a studio room real quick? <laughs> and all I remember was, um, you were there recording the the Fishbone record, yep. And Joy was there too. And this is the first time that I saw um, Angelo. He was very much in love with that Thurman. Oh my God, dog! <laughs> if you if you can hear, it, like if I had the stems to Panic, on Tariq's vocal track. You can still hear, like, the bleeding through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> that's my memories of, of Dart. But, no, thank you very much for doing this with this man.
4: And we couldn't—I didn't know what to do with that thing. It was like you couldn't control the there, So, and he was just— <laughs> He was determined to use it on the record. It was almost impossible to put it in tune. Dude! And that's bleed, bleeding over <laughs> into their sessions. Dude, <laughs> like, he
1: would just be in the hallway, and, like, it, it was like he was doing a a Rivera, <laughs> like— <laughs> but, uh, yeah. that's just for like four hours straight your legacy
4: runs deep so we're just going
1: to dive right into it what was your first musical memory
4: well my stepdad played for james brown who was jimmy nolan Oh, and, wow. uh,
1: jimmy nolan. chank nolan here is here we go This ain't
4: going. yeah motherfucker. <laughs> that's the show yeah yeah <laughs> so I would, this is crazy so i would wake up with him um, jimmy
1: chank nolan yeah does wendy melvoy know this does i
4: don't know <laughs> have you ever mentioned this I don't know if I mentioned any before, but every morning I would wake up in third grade and um, play guitar with him, and he would teach me to play with my my fingers like this: think it, think it, you know. And um, I would probably smoke a little bit of a joint and then go to school <laughs> because it was it was you know '70s and stuff. So my mom my mom owned a um, a nightclub in in Columbus, Georgia, and during the '60s it was segregated, so that when Tina Turner, James Brown, anybody came to town. They had to come perform, you know, yeah. in my dad's party club, stay in that area, eat in the soul food restaurant that's right there. And, you know, so I came up kind of in, in the nightclub restaurant business first. And there's a lot of 70s you know, wannabe bands and blue shag carpet and clavinet yeah. horners. And, you know, so my mom was doing books, I'm running around playing on their equipment every day. And Jimmy would be on the road and whenever he would come back, then I would sit and play guitar with him. And then I would go on the road with the JBs, like when I was like... When I was, like <laughs> Seven. Oh,
5: well, that explains um, everything. Right? This, right. Literally,
4: this, <laughs> thank you. This, this literally go so. took
1: every question out of my head. I'm still fucked up that I'm sitting next to someone that knew Jimmy Chank Nolan. Yeah, man. Like Herlin and Cheese and Jimmy Chank Nolan are, I mean, the 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 wonder twins of syncopated rhythm. They're just
4: and, you know, and I don't know why. Their timing was... I, 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 I don't know why my mom, you know, I, I was just so so into music, you know, I was so crazy about music, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I went on the road with the J.B.'s one summer, and I rode the bus with them the whole time, and me, Sweet Charles, uh, wow. Sinclair, Maceo. You knew these people? I would be, yeah, I would be under they the organ him. while while Sweet him. Charles is rehearsing, right? While they were practicing, I would be under the organ playing with cars or, like, you know, playing on little pianos and stuff. And this is how crazy this is that it goes full circle. So... Catherine Bruton had a thing at BMI when she right. first got to BMI. She said, we're going to honor James Brown. And we want you, Pharrell, Chad, Rodney Jerkins, all y'all going to be the JBs. Wow.
1: Not knowing your connection. Pharrell got on drums and started playing. Pharrell is uh, going uh, drums. Uh, what it
4: is is what it, <laughs> it is. Yo, it he is, called is me the night is.
1: before <laughs> and said, yo, I'm about to do Mind <laughs> Power with James Brown. Yes, <laughs> yes. This is that night? This is
4: that night. Ah. So we all in rehearsal. And... Um, for one, everybody was like, that's going to be impossible to get in together. So we all in rehearsal doing it. What it is is what it is. I'm yeah. playing the same chinky notes I was playing in third grade, right? You know, I'm like, this right. is getting surreal. This giving me a trip. you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so by the time we hit the stage with James, and I didn't, you know, I was little, so I didn't know how much he remembered me or not or followed my history of music or not. But as soon as he saw me on the stage, he goes that's Jimmy Nolan's boy right there. And then he started talking about how he knew me since I was little. He used to see me under the organ and wow. all this kind of stuff. And But it was a trip going on the road with them because... I remember this, this one time where you know, they were all lined up, the band was, the JB's, and then um, and James was in the dressing room getting ready to come out, and they out there just talking, doing their thing, you know, smoking cigarettes, talking trash, whatever. And this dude comes out, <laughs> and he walks out, and he slaps the hell out of all of them. Pow, pow! Pow! And I was so terrified, I didn't know what to do. I was just like, what just happened? You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, they were just like... he walked right through, and went straight to the stage, and then they went to the stage and started playing. And so afterwards, you know, as a kid, you're still just like in your own version of shock. Like, what, what just happened? Right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and Jimmy said to me, he said, man, you know, he, he, th- he does that to get our attention. So almost Is like, that the
0: face? I'm wow. sorry, when you say slap was, in the, on the face. face. Yeah,
4: yeah, it was, what? you know, if you feel like, you know, Shit. get your attention off the bat. If you feel like you playing too much or you're not serious about what's about to happen, you don't know what he'll do. He'll leave you. If somebody messed up, he'll leave the whole band.
3: You can write
4: right. He wasn't playing, so he. Wait, you can smack my you
3: know, motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> well, back,
4: back then you could because yeah, nobody, like, nobody had the internet back then. But mm. yeah, it was um, it was part of what really started me, started shaping me into playing. You know, so I started on guitar, mm-hmm. and then the guitar started hurting my fingers, so I started playing keyboards, mm-hmm. and then from that point I was just. And you know, you were all self taught, like no formal lessons or none of that. Self taught by Casio. Started with the Casio calculator, and then asked my mom to get me a big one every Christmas, and then uh, worked my way up to it. Roland JX3P. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, you went to big boys. <laughs> well, it took I me a while. I stopped at the SK1. <laughs> See, I was at the yeah, SK1, yeah. but I couldn't play in the local bands, and if I didn't have a keyboard for real, a real keyboard, right? Yeah. So my, my brother financed it. Was twelve hundred dollars? He financed it for five years. Wow. <laughs> so,
1: he paid wow. like ten thousand dollars for that. Yeah, okay, he would sneak me in
4: concerts, like because my mom's restaurant in Columbus was down the street from the auditorium. Then I went to every concert. So I seen The Mothership Land. That was one of my first concerts. Yeah, tell well. me about the concerts yeah. you saw when you were a kid. That's one of the first ones, because I said, Mom, you know, George Clinton, they're coming to town, and Parliament Funkadelic, and... The roof is going to open up and the spaceship's going to come in. And she said, like, well, honey, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I, I said, you didn't see the commercials? Look yeah. at the commercial on TV. The, the spaceship's coming in. I got to see this. So she's like, all right, I just don't want you to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. right. So I go to the concert. My brother would always take me to the concerts. He would sneak me in with a snare drum that was mine from school, like saying it was for Zapp's drummer. and you know, Smart. <laughs> Yeah, my brother was always, everybody was, in. we all in music. So. So like, when I got to the concert and I'm watching the show and all of a sudden they start doing the swing down, Sweet Chariot stuff. And I'm like, here it comes, here it comes. It's going to open up. And I didn't realize as a kid how it was happening, but I know the spaceship came down on the stage. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was just like blown away from it and all the costumes and watching Bootsy and watching like the whole... You know, I was able so to see. You every actually concert. got to
1: see uh, Glenn Goins call down the most. You heard of him. i seen him the say.
4: whole thing, bro. Damn. Like the, the, the same one you can watch on the old 70s film yeah, if you yeah, see yeah. it. And when George comes out with the whole cane uh-huh, and the hat and the whole And the yeah. thing about my mom's restaurant was that I was able to meet all these people. Before I ever, ever worked with them, I knew him. So they would come to the restaurant afterwards? They or? would go before and eat because a soul food restaurant. And then that was the closest restaurant to the venues. The venue, to the auditorium. It was only one place. So every time Roger, Zap, mm-hmm. Lionel Richie, Commodore's, Earth, Wind, and Fire, all these people, I seen them when I was little in my mom's restaurant.
0: Did you ever, is there ever a circle back to some of these folks oh, yeah. now? Like, you like, remember all of me? Them. I was a little boy? So, yeah.
4: Especially George. Okay. Um, you know, George has been. Since the times you were there, George right. was around then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's when he was really starting to hang around us. You at, worked on Hollywood, doc- right? I think. Yep, I did Hollywood. Um, but him, Lionel Richie, all of them. I, about, I got a chance, Natalie Cole. They must
0: be so proud of you. Like, damn.
4: Yeah, that, it was a, it's a full circle trip. You know, what was your, what was your favorite uh, parliament album, parliament people in that? I was in the Cosmic Slops album first like with Maggot Brain. and, that makes sense, and it, yeah. You know, just because my brothers and them was just playing right. over and over and over again. How much
1: older were your brothers than you?
4: Like five years,
1: you know. So, like, are you the middle or are you the baby?
4: I'm the baby. Wait, you're the um, baby? Yeah.
1: I I thought my, my, that my, my, the who's the hype man for uh, uh, another back creation? Ga. That's oh, my, yeah, yeah, that's my nephew. Ga, that's right. <laughs> I thought that I was your brother. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought that was your brother. That's your nephew. That's okay. right. That's my cousin,
4: my aunt's son. That so, was like
0: an urban legend when we was younger. Like you know this?
3: Okay.
4: Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah all, all of us was down in Columbus, man. And then um, my, my brother who brought the keyboard end up breaking my I was playing Get It Up one day from the time, over and over and over and over again because that's how we learn how to play. Right. And my brother came in one day, said mom well, said clean up the room and I wasn't listening. So he picked the keyboard up, threw it, broke it. I tripped out, flipped, went tried to my mom's restaurant was connected to the, the house we stayed in at that at that time. oh. So it was like Soul Food Restaurant in downtown Columbus. So everything was going down. Like everything was going down. And it was just bad. It was just just dark. And so um he broke your keyboard? The one he paid for? Yeah. And I, t- I, tried <laughs> to kill I tried to kill him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, <this is. laughs> but I was so little, you know, when you're little, you don't know better. So, you know, I ran downstairs my mom's restaurant, get a knife, run upstairs, and was crying. My mom oh. was like, what is what's going on? Because that keyboard was the only thing that got me into bands with people that was, like, bigger. You know, like mm-hmm. Kevin Bradshaw and them, who ended up being, like, basic black. They mm-hmm. had oh, bands, wow. you know. So I wanted to play in the band and, and be, like, Dr. Fink for real or Jimmy Jam for real. And now you just ruined my dream. So.
0: And how old are you now? Are you talking about?
4: 12. Okay. Oh, Speaking man. of which, uh, we found this out recently that Prince
1: initially wrote, get it up for yeah. brick. For brick?
4: They didn't like it. Oh my Morris God! Morris just laid it on us oh.
1: on his episode. Oh ben. my
4: God! I was a, I was a straight up fanatic. I was a Prince time fanatic. I was such a fanatic that that's how I th- learned to play everything. Because I would right. go home every day and learn "Get It Up" solo. I would go home every day and learn "Cool." Go home every day and all just be like "Girl" and right, all yeah, that. Yeah, all yeah. this, all this stuff. And I was so little that you know you just sat there and did it over and over and over and over and over again. And by the time I got to be twelve, you know I was really good. By the time he broke my keyboard, that's what made me move to Atlanta, because uh. I told my mom, I was like, yo, cause it's a Greyhound bus station around the street, mm-hmm. so after he broke my keyboard, I went to that bus station, I'm like, I'm going to Atlanta.
0: But you're 12, so yeah. I don't understand how that...
4: Well, she didn't need that first.
0: Okay. <laughs> so
1: you,
4: you ran away.
1: You you announced that you're running away from home. We all do oh, that, yeah. but not and to it, the bus. But, but could went, they
4: stop you? I went to the bus station. I'm waiting on the bus. Like I'm, I'm, and it's late at night. So my mom was like, "Yo, what are you doing? Like, I'm, he broke my keyboard. I can't be a big producer. I got to get to Atlanta." And she was like, "What?" And what like, you get
0: into in Atlanta for? Because at the time, because my auntie, different. But my
4: auntie lived up here, and it was still not there. And I knew something else could happen here. Okay. okay. You know, like, you still had Brick, and you still had Cameo, and you still had SOS Band, and, like, mm-hmm. you know, Atlanta Rhythm Sections, and all this stuff was going on back but then.
1: But in your mind, like, at least if I'm 12, you know, what I knew of Atlanta pre, like, when Bobby Brown came down, then I was like, okay, something's about to happen. But before then... Right. The only person I knew that like bragged about Atlanta back then was people Bryson, people Bryson,
4: and Cameo.
1: Right, but I didn't know even yeah. like not even reading the labels like uh, you know I'm just saying that why again you're 12 so I'm glad you kind of went next door instead of like you New know, York, two thousand miles away. Okay. <laughs> why was New York or Hollywood not on your? Radar.
4: Because I've been to Atlanta, um, we would come up on the weekends and, and they had the biggest music store, like Rhythm City or something it was called. And mm-hmm. like, so you look at the yellow pages and it was like, that was the closest dream I could see for real. You know, it was like, if I get up there, I can go to the music shops, I can do this, I can do that. But I just knew that Columbus wasn't the place for it. And so my mom came the next day, she came and said, Look, okay, it's late at night. I know you're stubborn, I know you're mad. Just come on back to the house, and we talk about it. And no buses are leaving tonight anyway, so <laughs> you know, come on back home. It's fine. We can we'll, we can deal with it tomorrow. So I went back home. Woke up the next day. Was he there? Oh yeah, no, he was going drinking Budweiser by then. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> he, okay, he, he know that he he realized at that point how you know what had happened, right? And so um, the next day, I got up during the daytime. I went down to my mom's cash register in the, in the restaurant, got me like $20, 40 bucks, went back to Greyhound Grey bus station. And then, uh, now it's full on. Now it's daytime. The buses are leaving. And so she comes back around again. And she's like, yo, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to Atlanta. I can't I can't stay down here. Dude broke my keyboard. All my brothers are like, you know, in jail a lot. Like, we had a lot of just jail and darkness. So it's me and my mom are really close. And it was absolutely not repairable at all? It, it was repairable. It just didn't look like it. Right, Because <laughs> right. okay. you're 12. The, two, the, two first, the two keys came off the beginning. You know, oh, the oh you the,
0: mean the g- keyboard. I thought you meant the relationship. The relationship my yeah. bad. Oh, 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 well, relationship. oh, yeah, that too. Oh, oh the keyboard.
4: <laughs> <No>. Well... <laughs> Well, then, you know, my mom was like, well, look, if you're that determined, you're that stubborn, then give me some time to sell the restaurant. I'm going with you. You're not leaving me. Wait, time out. That's
0: dope. She's willing to
4: do that for you? She did that.
0: That's your best friend for real. And
4: that's how I got to Atlanta. So she came up, sold the restaurant. My dad was really, he was really prominent in Columbus. He did a lot of stuff with the city, did a lot of stuff with the streets and, you Mm -hmm. know, gangsters and all this stuff. He was just that guy. So, you know, I was just like, nothing's down here for us except for legacy that he left and some problems with police and all this kind of stuff. Let's just go. And so we left, came to Atlanta. She got a job at Po Folks on Old National. I moved to College Park. Po folks. And she she didn't even know how much money to ask for because she was always self employed right. in a little restaurant. So she started making twelve thousand a year. And I started going to school sometimes. <laughs> how long
0: was that period between the bus station and y'all actually moving?
4: About about almost eight, like eight months to a year. Oh wow! Okay, okay that's good. She was like ready. time when she was like, "All right, let me situate hmm. it. Let me figure it out. Where am I gonna work? How Let's do I sell plan. this? How do I?" Mm-hmm. You know, um, because my father, he 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 got killed in front of us when he was two, when I was two, right? Because he what? Yeah, he had his his nightclub and his restaurant, and this dude had a dream or something, and he was a friend of his that my uncle beat him with a pipe or something crazy, but just some craziness, and he came down to shoot my uncle at the restaurant. My dad was standing in the door. So shot him first, and then came in where well, I was playing with my uncle, came in and shot my uncle, and then jetted. So, I mean, they called him. He went to jail, but then my, my dad didn't end up making it. My mom had to take over the club and take over the responsibility of the nightclub and the uh, restaurant. Right. Now, the nightclub is full of all the politicians I know now in Atlanta, <laughs> pimps, street hustlers, Gene Griffin, like yeah. all the, you know. That the, Gene that, Griffin? That Gene Griffin was part of my growing up too with my dad.
1: What was Gene Griffin exactly, besides a name that always was in Teddy Riley's place?
4: My God. Gene. I don't know what
1: he looks like.
4: I just know <laughs> that I've seen his name a lot. Gene Griffin was one of the most notorious like, gangsters back then. He was the sugar of? Oh, Beyond. They wasn't playing. Him and uh, Bill Underwood, who's connected to Johnny Gill... out of new york they had they had new york on lock that was back in the in the you know like
0: post frank lucas frank lucas
4: days okay that was all during that time
1: so was atlanta his base and he would work out of new york or was new york his base and then i got some shit
4: down south too columbus and new york was his base so they would take it from new york to columbus and then distribute out through georgia atlanta and everywhere else um heroin coke whatever they were they were doing and so we knew gene griffin When when i was little i knew gene from being married to my auntie and being gangster and them showing up with mink coats on and mink hats and Maseratis and you know guns and just the whole '70s, you know what you what you're doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until so Gene went to jail, right, for for a long time, and during that time, Andre got Teddy and Guy, but Teddy was already signed to Gene before that with Kids at Work. Okay, mm-hmm. so when he got out, he came out saying, "Hey, I want my guy. I want my I want my producer back." So his little episode with him and Andre because he because they were in Guy and he didn't want to give him Guy. Right. So Joe Busby was like, "Yo, okay, let's stop the turmoil. You take Teddy. Guy stays over here with us, and then we'll." So that's how Teddy ended up being producing with Gene. Ah, so he my, wouldn't let him go. Now check this out. My mom's at work at Po' Folks one day, mm-hmm. right? Now I'm up here. I did Hey Mister DJ with, with Joyce Irby by the end. So now I'm at like my 16. You know, got first. Wait, timeout. You did
1: that at 16?
4: Yeah. Wow. Wait, was that you wearing the Batman shirt on Soul Train? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh I was also in some got into some contracts with her that would work for higher contracts. Mm-hmm. But she was the first one to really get me to Cheryl Busby into doing troop and to doing stuff like that at that age. Found out it was I was in some work for higher contracts, that wasn't good contracts, right? And so one day, my mom's at work at Folks, and she gets a call from Gene Griffin. Okay. Oh Lord. And she's like she don't understand mm-hmm. right? because the Gene Griffin that she knows was in jail, was a gangster, mm-hmm. was running with my dad and him back then. So she knows that Gene, but she had no idea. So he's like, Bill, I got to get in touch with Dallas. He, he, he needs to understand I'm doing music. And she's like, what? And then she calls me and she's like, I don't know, Dallas. Gene Griffin called. <laughs> I said, who? She said, Gene Griffin, what do he want with you? I said, I don't know. What, what, what do you want with me? She said, I don't know. He said something about Teddy Riley. And I said, oh, wait, mm, because man. I was always seeing Gene Griffin's name, but I didn't know it was him. Right, yeah. I thought it was somebody else. So Producing you didn't put two and two together? No. Okay. And then when I did, I'm like, oh, man. So I called him. He's like, yo, if your dad knew I was letting you out, be out here like that. he turn over in his grave, boy. I got to come and protect you. You know, so it turned into into that. And so then he, he they moved to Atlanta. Right. He was the first one really, like, you know, getting Teddy $100,000 a track was unheard of. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting yeah, producers yeah, that yeah. much money was just insane yeah. He was first, Teddy was the first one getting that kind of money real money uh, because because of Gene you know okay. and what he did that was really smart was he, he was trying to when Teddy got really big what he did was he did production deals everywhere but he never did a label deal right mm-hmm. so he could keep putting them at different places mm-hmm. well Gene owned Sony Music it's called Sounds of New York right I was wondering how that I, I remember when Teddy because when we had Today that, Yes. Do you really want him? Right, really? right, right. 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 I mean? me. Today, John. That was yeah. on Sounds of New York, right?
1: Wow. I was wondering how Sony allowed that to happen. The
4: they Japanese didn't. Yes. That's why they came in and, and disrupted him <laughs> and Teddy and everything else because, you know, he had the rights to Sony Music because of Sounds of New York. And right. So they were Columbia back then. Okay. And so he was so disruptive with everything he was doing at the time. He was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> But he was, he was real, real with it. So, you know, they, they kind of wanted to separate him and Teddy. And get Teddy away from under him, and so people. Is this like why Teddy moved to Virginia? That's so why Teddy moved to Virginia.
1: But does that stop yeah, a cat yeah. like Gene? If Gene is Atlanta, New York, and that, like, well, I can easily get to Virginia Beach.
4: Well, he, 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 you know, he was still it was it was a dispute, but they're still getting money. But then Gene said, "Okay, fuck it, I'm gonna go to Atlanta," mm-hmm. and I, he started Basic Black to be his new guy. Remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that started up, but by that time, you know, he's he's Gene. He's rolling in all the Teddy Riley money anyway. Um Now, can we? Assume
1: that, hey, Mister DJ, was your first debut as a producer? Yeah,
4: I mean, I did a couple of little things before that, but that was the first one to get on a know, national level. Yeah, and then Dougie Fresh said my name in the record. I thought I was just gonna die. He's like, "Yo, Dallas, it's time to rock!" And, right. <laughs> and I was in, uh, I was in mall, on Mulholland in, in some rental car like sixteen, seventeen, with working with Joyce, and I heard it on the radio, and I heard my name, and I was like. God, this is it. This I've been waiting to do this all my life. And then so and then every time from that point, I had a record, I would go to Mall Hall into the same spot and listen. And test it there, like really. (laughs) Yeah.
5: I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step.
1: What gear were you uh, recording on at that time? Did you make that Joyce Fenderella Irby?
4: Dude, it was a RX. It was the Yamaha drum machine that it just came out with back then. Yeah. And it did, it sounded really thin. I was going to really say, like... when you get to the bridge, like I, when I
1: remember the song, like the, the verse was high powered yep. and the chorus is high powered. But then when y'all get to the bridge, it's almost this. like a, a, a sonic difference <laughs> without the samples and all that stuff on top of it. So
4: I had to, uh, and you know, back then sampling, you can only sample this long. Right. So it was only like, clap to this. Uh, uh. Uh, one, two. James Brown, that's only that's all the sample link that you had. So right. it's gonna clap to this, clap, clap, clap to this <laughs> over and over. But it was like, you know, it was the closest thing to swing at the time, to New Jack Swing. And then when Gerald Busby heard that, he said, uh, yo man, I got this group uh, that I want you to work with, but I don't I don't think Joyce should work on them with you. I think you should do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. I said, Okay. He said, You had to call boys the men. He says Mike Bibbins group, but I think your influence is better without her. You know, because she would come mix the records and stuff, too. So if right. you listen to, like, I Will Always Love You from Troupe, it's a lot thinner to me than, than other songs right. I was doing your, after your, that. Your trademark wasn't there. Yeah, my, my drums hadn't got thick You're yet. In my leg.
1: <laughs> from my, my point of view, like, as a fan listening, it was impossible, at least back then, 90, 91, to escape the bomb squad. Oh, my God. How influential. Because the thing is, is that even though they did an awesome job on the Poison record, which is basically, like, 70 maybe 80 percent samples and whatever but you know i mean a lot of the stuff is atonal but i mean you just took that shit to the hilt and i always wondered your level of just chaotic production (laughs) without without sort of a a linear melodic thing like i I mean hat to the back is a great example like there really isn't a melody there so it's like when you're writing this stuff, and again, I know the chaotic form of production at the time, especially with like Teddy doing a more nuanced, steady New Jacks, you know, yeah. by the numbers thing, but yeah. you were just like the Wild Wild West with it. How hard was it for you to convince, not the acts, because I feel like you and the acts were like of age and all that stuff, but like the Busbys of the world, like the older, I'm assuming these guys are at least 40 years old, like yeah. how yeah. do you convince them that cramming forty two gazillion samples in something is like that's what they want.
4: Yeah, it was a lot of samples, bro. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to be in the Bomb Squad so bad with Hank Shockley and them. I was right. like, I was going down to Green Street, like studios, and I'll see Mike Bivens and them working with them, and I was like, man, the, the Bomb Squad. It was just so incredible how they would take all these samples that was just like. Out of nowhere, and make sure that they were out of tune, and make sure that they had nothing to do with each other, and make <laughs> right. sure they was so. Mm-hmm. So I would take that same formula, right? Now I, I would do that, but then I would write a regular song on top of it, like so. If, think about it, just took all that away, and then write a song like "Hat to the Back," or write a "What About Your Friends" as a song, because mm-hmm. I always knew that like production is a vehicle, but you gotta have a song, you gotta and have you gotta cram that song you. into three minutes, and you gotta usually have two hours to tell it in a movie. You got like two minutes now, but three minutes back then to tell a story mm-hmm. in a song. So then. If you took all that away, you could hear the song. Like, all the keyboards, yeah, all the, the strings, course, yeah. everything's on there. Just like I had to ignore all the samples and don't think anything about them. So, how hard is that if you have a singer
1: that doesn't have something to. And something the thing is, like, I'm mean, hearing yeah. the final, you know, like, we're hearing the final mix. Yeah. But I'm certain with like Ain't Too Proud Debate,
4: like, it was just like not completely mixed. <laughs> and... <laughs> There's so much noise in that song. Yeah, like, right. radio <laughs> wouldn't play it because it has so much noise in it at first. <laughs> It was a like hit. There was like it was, no but when you think about way. it it is a was lot like is. when they when they first took it the radio they were just like no. There was like what is this? No. It's too much noise. It's like it's just too much noise. And then she said, she was saying 2 inches or yard rock hard oh, yeah. sagging. Oh yeah, that and was So the they were like no. Yeah. Just no. And so then Lamont Bowles came back um who used to work at the face and he mm-hmm. was just like, "You know what? They got to see the girls first. Mm. Trying to tangle them in through this. It's too, there's too much noise. It's too. They don't get it. It's too they like got to see the whole oh, So they try to video. white label it first and see what's yeah. up. And oh, then... yeah. They went to radio first, like usual. But then radio was like, nah, uh uh-uh, uh, too much noise. It's the too video. Video. Yeah. And then you when they shot the video, video and you saw, yo, mic check, one, two, one, two. If we fun. saw the video, everybody was like, oh, we get it now. And, right. and that's what really set the girls off. Um, and then, but like, sample clearances hadn't came in yet it's kind of like the right. like that blockchain <laughs> it was like sample <laughs> clearances was like something that we all did we all got a hold to it for fun now we could do whatever we want nobody ever done that before nobody's ever taken somebody's song and, and then recorded it and sung something different on top of it right. like they was doing remakes but right. not that
1: that's when y'all was pissing off all the old heads
4: everybody and nobody knew how to clear it Nobody. Well, your
1: shit was so chaotic it was like, that it would take like one of us our generation to know like oh that snare came from there but like,
4: dude okay but look at it like this though So, if you got Fly Robin Fly, Mm. right? Right. Then you got the average white band, Mm. and then you got Cool in the Gang, right? And then you got Parliament, Mm. right? And then you got, now to think, okay, (laughs) there's 30 people in each each group, right? Right, right. So, when they started (laughs) to break down the sample clearances and said, okay, we figured this out, we gotta go back and get these people paid. Oh, no.
0: Oh, yeah. goodness. Yeah, I saw those credits.
4: It ain't, ain't got 100% oh, of a song. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 0.1% to the horn players. <laughs> 0.1% to this. Like, because you didn't realize that each one of those samples has so many people connected to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have, I would have, like, 25. 25, 30 samples going across the board and we just like mute out different ones at different times and whatever but like it was so it became crazy and, and if you notice by the time we got to the uh, the second record with creep, creep it was just like just yeah. one straight just, like, <laughs> right, right, right Rick. <laughs> <laughs> but even Creep at that time
1: was still it didn't sound like nothing else okay I'm so glad you mentioned this because that they're the craziest story of my life where and I'm talking about this, the Shinehead situation so I guess the story of Creep is brow, 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 uh, Hey Young World. So I guess Slick Rick never cleared the Guess Who's Back mm-hmm. Shinehead sample on Hey Young World. Uh-huh. Brow, brow, brow. Oh, okay. guess, guess Who's, who's Back. back? Yeah. Right. So then you guys use that. And so Shineheads people try to go after you guys for it. Yep. And you're like, no, we cleared Hey Young World. <laughs> Through Slick Rick. Yeah, like we cleared it. <laughs> here's the clearance. And they're like, yeah, but. Rick never cleared it with us. So, can you explain that situation? Like, how. Yeah, that Like, did you wind up clearing Shinehead sample
4: for Rick. for <laughs> For yeah. Def Jam? They had to go back and sort, because again, at that time, nobody was. It, it was all new. And, you know, so they had to go back and pay him too. You know, they slick. Rick, I mean, they had to go and situate him not being paid from not only that, but from Hey Young World too. Yeah, but I'm uh, saying, like, did you guys have, you have to, to pay him to? too? Hey, like is
1: is Shinehead a first generational sample on Creep, or did you tell them at Def Jam like yo clear this shit the right way so that way
4: parse well, it straight? Yeah, because when we cleared it through them and they cleared the, they cleared it, then that's when he popped up and was like, hold on, but that's my you know right. I thought it was Slick Rick. I didn't even I, I thought it was so exactly. I, I didn't pay attention exactly. to. It. I thought it was Dougie Fresh or Slick Rick or somebody saying, guess who's back? But I thought it belonged to the song. And when they did come back and clear it. Then they had to go back and take care of him for not only that, but for, for Hey Young World. World. Or what Hey Young World was going to generate coming up, you know, because <laughs> he's never gotten taken care of for because people didn't know how to clear samples back then. I
1: thought they forced you to pay for both as here's Shine here, Hit, this is for Creep. And then since they didn't do it, here's Hey Young World. Oh, yeah. Mike.
4: No, Duff Jam had to go take care of him. <laughs> okay.
1: I guess if anyone makes any reference to any parts of the song that Aaron Fuchs owns, on anything so in the case of, of Otis because Kanye and Jay said Jay is chilling Jay is chilling what oh, more oh right? yeah yeah so Aaron Fuchs was like <clears throat> hello right. uh, Nat Robinson they're sampling our song yep and you know Nat and Milk D were like no that's that's like a sh- like rappers don't suit suit each cadence, other
0: right like
1: it's, no no but yeah, yeah rappers yeah. just don't suit like you know if Premiere scratches your shit you think it's an honor like yeah, oh yeah. he said but litigious people and I'm talking very official because mm. even when i talk about Did, af he tries to get litigious with me but <laughs> you know that was that was a messy situation so yeah I, I always wanted to know that
4: shine situation with creep man it, what's crazy is you know when sampling came around like that george clinton obviously had you know the whole west coast sound period right. but mm-hmm. nobody knew how to clear it. and he had signed over so many different Contracts to different people. Right. Back then, you know, he was just selling stuff and that, on the road partying and not keeping up with anything. And nobody ever knew this was going to happen. Nobody mm-hmm. ever knew that sampling would come around the corner and, and, you know, change people's lives like that. And so he had to get Cochran in them to try to help undo a lot of his stuff. Right. Cochran. But, yeah, because wow. George Clinton samples, between him and James Brown, they have to be the most, right. I yeah. would think. Yeah. I'm, he man. just, just
1: got his. Contractual financial thing, straight.
4: You like, know, I got, I have, I have a lot of the, I have the Funkadelic masters to Cosmic Slot, to Knee Deep, Um So your friends with the army. Well, George gave them to me. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. He would. Wow, that's amazing. George gave them to me, um, and I had them baked. You know, that, right. after the masters baked, but you can hear like when you go and you listen to each one of them, it's just like you get chills because. That moment is captured on that tape. You yeah. can hear him, you can hear him like something about music. <laughs> really? Yeah. And all of them had to be in the room together at the same time when they were doing it. Oh, sorry about that. Oh. That's your. That's your.
1: your yo. maybe. Let me tell you something.
4: I love that record Got so it. much, right? Yes. <laughs> that those are the best pop songs ever written, right? So I'm riding on that That's car- your ringer. <laughs> Call Me Maybe is your...
0: That's somebody that's, else's that's, ringer. No, that's my ringtone. That's just the full, everybody call. That's oh, been, yeah, oh, that's okay. it. That's
4: it. Totally. Ah! Right. I tweeted it when I heard that. I used to love the song so much. Uh-huh. I just tweeted it one day. I said, I love this song, right? And the manager tweeted me back like, are you serious? <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah. So you want to work with her? I'm like, yeah. So I did three or four songs on the album. <laughs> wow. <that's laughs> that just that was crazy. crazy. Like, it.
0: Made her whole life.
4: <laughs> so, yeah. Nick Sincano, who
1: engineered the uh, Public mm-hmm. Enemy records, he told me... He said, you'll never believe this, but we never automate it once. And I was like, what, what is the mixing process like? And he's like, you know, yeah, Keith that joint. Keith yeah. and Eric were such sticklers, well, mainly to save money, kind of in a way that when, when mm-hmm. uh, I forgot, uh, Ray Parker Jr. told us that Barry White never overdubbed because he didn't want to pay for overtime, so like everyone played it once. Yep. But Nixon Sano showed me the 9-11 bass head tracking sheets, and literally, like they like Eric Sadler's, like you know, eighty-one bars cut off. Da da da. So they would do everything ahead of time before tracking. Mm. Is that how you track your things, or like is it just you drop it and then you mix it at the end, like would, everyone else
4: does? I would drop it and mix it at the end, but like okay. I would have, um, like you know, back at that time, the engineers like Dave Way, or like you know, you'll find uh, Timmy Regis was was okay. crazy mixing back then, but. That was your main guy for TLC or? I would use Dave Way a lot back then because Teddy was using Dave Way. Okay. Um, And then Alvin Spites, of course. But it was, they would have a a fit at first. They'd be like, okay, give me a second. (laughs) To figure this (laughs) out. Yeah, because I would have so many tracks and then so many samples and how do you put the samples and embed it back in the tracks so that the chords stand out and so that the, so the roughs would sound a lot different than when they were mixed because unless I sat with them, you know, we kind of make the roughs and then, you know, give them a sketch for the mixer. Mm -hmm. But if you just sent it to them, Mix engineer here, just like, no, this is crazy. Were what he you is working?
1: This? Uh, was Leslie, was he mixing yourself? Not time? yet.
4: He hadn't okay. came in yet. Um, Leslie? Leslie Brathwaite. Leslie Brathwaite. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but Leslie went to, you know, he's at Full Sale, so he came in as an intern first. And then from that point, he just started going at it. Like, you know, he I just knew that he was going to get there, you know? So him coming in and then being my engineer, my recording engineer, and then I was working on Madonna Secret when he did the rough mix to it, she was like, I like that mix better. Wow. And that's what kind of kicked off his his like mixing
1: uh Yeah yeah. I was gonna ask, are you a demo itis person? Do you
4: know what? It's horrible. Or your right. or your artist demo itis. I, I, I learned to at first I was horrible because I was a total demo itis person, but then the whole first Boys the Man album, the two album, mm-hmm. that's all the rough mixes. Word what? yeah it's like thank you that so that's all, when, it, it's all it's, well before that there's some time Motown Philly oh oh oh, oh, it's, it's oh ooh cool ah ooh I one end please okay. don't go on the songs so right so that's the one all, all these don't go. records don't go when the one, when man. when Gerald Busby told me he was, I had Dave Wade mix the whole album but then mm-hmm. Gerald Busby said you know what I like the roughs better man. I said, you, oh, no, don't do that to me, man. Are you, you know, I, I got to sound better. I can't let people like Teddy hear it. It don't sound good, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, nope, these roughs, are, this is it. I think we matched, we, we're going with the roughs. And wow. I didn't want to listen to the record when it came out. Okay, so now I'm like Crazy Sexy Cool,
1: which obviously is, you know, there's multiple producers. Multiple producers yeah.
4: But who's the alpha producer? Are you there during the mastering and the sequencing as well? Yeah. When it got to Crazy Sexy Cool by that time, like, when I was doing the of uh, TLC Tip record, and you just capture, you know, records are you capturing a moment that just happened to you. You recorded right. you recorded an event that just happened to you. That's why they call it a record. Right. So we would just, whatever we were doing, you know, we acted it out. We were just at the studio 24-7 recording it, right? So that album came out to be more cohesive as like, okay, you can tell that that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened. Somebody had to, the same person kind of did it all. By the time we got to Crazy Sexy Cool, and the girl sold all those records, mm-hmm. and all the madness had happened in LA, and them, you know when they come in and say, "Okay, now yeah, they got let us things. let us go situate, let us bring in, let us do this, let us." Right. And it wasn't until, and I was I was like, weird on that because I would go, they would go say, "Yo, you start the project because you know what to do," and then we'll come in and fill in the blanks and bring in stuff, right? Mm. So, or I would go and say, "Okay, here's four, here's four or five songs. Let me find the other ones that'll fit in from Babyface mm-hmm. or from this person or that person," right? By the time we got to Crazy Sexy Cool, it was like LA was trying to make I think sure that they didn't fail in that sense. So it was like song, 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 right? But by the time, and, and then he wasn't gonna put creep out. He shot the video. We've heard. We heard he shot three videos. He shot three yeah. shot three videos. Yeah, and then um, he wasn't gonna put it out. And so then he went to Clive and said that Clive was like, Clive called me. He's like, Nope, LA's wrong. He's like. <laughs> And this is the first time I've ever heard this thing. He goes, and that Miles Davis horn sound you have in there is going to get you a Grammy. And I was like, what wow. Miles Davis horn sound? And Creep? Yeah. I, I was See? Uh-huh. So I was the same way, but that's, that's funny because that's how he interpreted it. But what I was doing is I had Creep up on my MPC-60 for a week, right? Mm-hmm. I would come in and sing the song,
3: not save
4: it, yes. and just be like, oh, man, I think it's now too country. And I said, but I keep it on the download. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, but I kept singing it every day. So I was like, you know what? Let me just get Deborah Killings to come do the demo so I can get it out of my head. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the whole song, I had her come sing it, and I couldn't find a cymbal crash. But I like, so I just went, like, oh, I put this in. Cause like, you know, Pete Rock and everybody would put the right. horns right. on the
3: one. Right, right,
4: right. So I found that and put it in there and didn't think of it as anything that would be a signature. It was just like, hey, this is the horn hit on the one. But Clive was like, that Miles Davis horn sound is going to get you a Grammy. And I was like, what Miles Davis God, that's horn a Miles sound? Miles Davis <laughs> horn sound. And it's not even Miles well, it's not Davis. That, it's but just, like, just like the sound of it. I know it's idea. not his. Yeah, that
1: I was mean, the closest I, thing that, that Clive could, right, have been could have relate played. to. It's, yeah, I was going to say, even to this day, when Creep is still like maybe the first 20 records that I spend when I do DJ gigs. And when it comes in, it's it's almost the effect. And it's weird because like that record used to be Troy. Like, whenever you spin the top of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They reminisce over you, yep. place goes pandemonium. Right. And then, you know, after 15, 20 years, then yeah. silence. It ain't going to save you no more. Yeah, the generational yeah, yeah. change. But mm-hmm. creep has never lost its luster.
0: It gives you a chance to get on the floor. The first 15, 30 seconds, they give you a chance to get on the floor, and then you can really get Put your get drink it. down. Right. Yeah, 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 but yeah, just
1: yeah. The, when people hear, it's almost like I hear the screams of... When I was 14 years old in ninth grade, like that's <laughs> that's that's, what, that's the, the yells I hear. Wait, so at the time when I was... I, we were living in London when Crazy Sexy Cool came out. There was this white singer that did... Texas. Charlene Spiteri, right? Yo, I, I was like, is it me or is she pulling the... <laughs> she did the germ... song? All right, give me, give me another non-Jermaine kind uh. of like a person... Rafael's, you know, okay, like okay, when the okay. song comes out. Yeah, yeah. If you like White Diamonds, you'll you like, like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it me or when you when I heard that song, we we be in the tour bus, like it would come on MTV or whatever, and I was like, "Yo, this is the this that, is creep."
4: That is creep. And they came. My 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 publisher called me to say, "Yo, so I always it's this to group know. Texas, and yes. they've done this song called Once in a Lifetime.' Once Please, in man. a Lifetime. I, yep. <laughs> and and
1: you ever I have
4: it? It's out, And so." They 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 played the song for me. and They said you got two choices. They said, well, they actually bid it because they really really like you and they wanted a the song to sound like yours. So either you could sue them for that or you could work with them. I said, well, why don't you I work, work with them? That's the Dallas way. And to learn. I worked with them. I did sold millions of records with them on the song I did with them called "In Demand." Like years after it. Yo, man, I've been
1: for twenty years trying to figure out. They ran it. They ran that joint in Europe forever, yep. and then I just stopped hearing it. But I always wanted to know. If it's that, I mean that always happens in songwriting. Like even to this day, like I always use the example on on the original reels of Fleetwood Max Dreams. Yeah. It still says the spinner's idea number three because they were making I'll Be I'll Around. Be around. Yeah. Yep, and, and Stevie Nicks was doing what
4: she's doing. Uh, step she was doing uh, a little red Corvette.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and got him to come in
4: and yeah, because then you you would. That's kind of how they would look at stuff. You know, you only got this many notes. There's 12 notes in there. So that's got to make everything you've ever heard in your life. All the jazz, all the classical, all the hip hop, all the R&B, all the pop is made between here and here. That's all. (laughs) That's what's so genius about music because...
0: Manipulation. And
4: and you're going to run across it again. It's just impossible not to. That's why every reggae song is going to sound pretty much alike. And that's why, you know, you had the thing with uh, with Pharrell and them talking about Blurred Lines. But (laughs) it's like you're starting to run out of... You're starting to run out of combinations. Combinations, yeah. Right.
5: I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where...
1: an album is when you're sequencing Coolie Eye Harmony, the album, I always want to ask producers, whoever the executive producer is like, how much balls do you have to start an album off with a ballad? That, you know, when, especially when you have Motown Philly in your pocket. And yes, I see Motown. I do see Motown Philly as a side to the adrenaline banger thing. But, Y'all didn't once say like maybe we should start this record with Man. Motown Philly. Man, please don't go. That's no. that jam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and under the pressure and like
4: it was. Zimping. We were kind was of was trying all. to. I would sequence records like this most of the time, where I would say, okay, well, just have the mood right. So y'all don't want to have a fast song, slow song, fast song, slow song. You want to have like here's your fast, right. here's your mids, and then slow it down towards the kind of towards the end of it. When they did Crazy Sexy Cool, obviously that was LA, right. And I was—I felt a little more disconnected from Crazy Sexy Cool than the first one, uh-huh. um, just because it, it felt to me patched up—not patched up, but it felt like a bunch of different. Even things with the interludes, sort of. That was supposed to be the thing that tied it together, but the who did those interludes? Different people, like not you to do something. Nah.
1: Oh damn, I thought uh-huh. it was you.
4: But it was just because at a certain point, I did all, all you know, you can go in, you start off, and you do all these songs, and then you start to say, okay, and then he starts to say, okay, well, now I'm gonna put this person in, now I'm gonna put that person in, now I'm gonna let somebody listen to all your mm-hmm. stuff, and then we're gonna put somebody else in <laughs> to try to do better than yours. And we had this thing before me organizing and Jermaine, we've known each other since the skating rinks. So uh-huh. since we were like 16, we're since I first got to Atlanta, you know, and me and JD actually go over to his, his house with his mom. and... Make beats on Jermaine's MPC, and mom would you know feed us Teddy Grahams or Kool Aid or whatever. Um, and nice, combo. so we would just be like, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> that's just what we were doing. We were young and not just in high school and all this, and didn't really you know dressing the kids at the mall and kind of just doing you know just having fun. So yeah. we really didn't know and think about how it was gonna blow up. And myself, Rico, and Jermaine, we had um, you know after we started to come up, we end up doing all of, all of the Face Records. Mm-hmm. That was all the records right That's there, true. me, Jermaine, and Rico. Yeah, about that. yeah. And at was one that point,
1: Highland Place Mops was that. That was the yep. yeah, that was the, uh, Yeah,
4: and so at one point, I hit, I hit. Uh, we had all got way off track. Like we wasn't messing with each other. We was just like way off track. When like, did it get competitive? It got competitive like
1: after Crazy Six. I was going to ask, like, how did you feel about Waterfalls? Because even La said himself, like
4: he saved Organized Noise for last. Well, I loved, I loved the Waterfall. See, I knew all of them. These are like all my guys in the first place because we all hung out at the skating rink and stuff together before L.A. even knew any of us. Mm-hmm. So we felt like when L.A. kind of came to town, here was the opportunity. But we was more crazy about Babyface. You know, but mm-hmm. we couldn't really See, access. face. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't really access like that. It was like LA mm-hmm. came to the forefront and was like, hey, by the time we got to Crazy Sexy Cool, we realized, I, was, I called him one day and I said, yo, man, and we had all this ABC crisscross beef and all that stuff when it was kids yeah, and yeah, nah, it, it just wasn't. turned into a bunch of mess in the first place. But um, I called Jermaine in one day and said, yo, man, you know, we need to have a meeting. Um, you and Rico come meet me at this restaurant and don't bring any security. What you mean don't bring no security? Set up. I was like, I can't find we my <laughs> We mm-hmm. don't need security. We've been knowing each other since high school. But we've been way off.
0: it's been a long time yeah, since everybody
4: that. done made money and went on their own thing. Put Atlanta back on the so map. So I had a meeting with him and I said, uh I, said, I had to. sorry. You, you don't like this one. So I said to them, I said, yo, man, what's going on with us? Like, you ever noticed that we all work on the face records, but we don't work on any of our own records together? Mm. Like, you never worked, this was before Jermaine did First Night. I said, you never worked on Monica. I was about to ask I you. Worked worked right. I never worked on Escape. You never worked on, Something. what's going on? So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so Jermaine goes, well, L.A. said, man, you don't really like my stuff. And I said, well, damn, L.A. told me you don't like my stuff. Ooh, LA. And then Rico Wade goes well, LA told me that neither one of y'all like my stuff. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, he admitted that and
1: so he admitted that he wanted friction between the three of you so that way you'd be competitive. Really competitive.
4: And so he gave us the book for Christmas the art of war none of us have paid attention to it yeah. oh, or y'all would have no, 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 no. the earlier we don't pulled on us in the first place and so we from that point we was like okay we gotta stop because Atlanta's small and, and yeah. for us to be separated and we're the glue to the whole thing is like that did not make any sense oh, because yeah. we don't function like that down here so, so right. is saying? that was, when the
0: Monica relationship started that's when
4: the Monica yes. relationship started okay. the first night okay.
3: okay
1: for those of us that aren't Atlanta adjacent and I know that your connection to the ATL film could you explain to us outsiders about skate culture in Atlanta and how <laughs> important it is or the epicenter? Oh, man. It was the
4: only other outlet, you know? So when I did, I did Drumline first, right? And everybody mm-hmm. kind of said, okay, it brought the marching bands to the forefront. And then I had ATL, it was called Jelly Beans. I had that movie at the same time. It was based out, because the skate rink was called Jelly Beans that mm-hmm. me and T-Boz and Organized Noise and Divine Stevens and all of us went to the skating rink every Sunday. So what the truth is, is then after I did Drumline, Fox was like, okay, he's got the skating rink movie. So we're going to put out Roll Bounce because I took, ah. I, I had oh. so I taken I take the other movie to Warner Brothers. And so then when they put out Roll Bounce, Warner called me and was like, yo, we can't make a skating rink movie. You just put that one out. That's not going to make sense.
0: Oh, ACL is old.
4: So it was a, yo, yeah. So then, so but I looked at it. I said, well, look, man, that's a period piece. I was like, that's like watching the woods. Like it is. This, it uh, is. I said, yeah. but like, we're doing this now in Atlanta. Right now, today on Sundays, they are skating. Does it still happen? And they're skating. Yeah, right now. Okay. It was like, me and Usher Skates and Jermaine. Are back still back. Crazy yeah. anyway. Me, Usher and That's Jermaine, why Usher's is so go. good. He got it for me and me and Jermaine. He didn't now.
0: change LA in that way. he go to the Usher's skating. Usher's like
4: Ty mm-hmm. Babylonian and Randy Gardner
1: on his IG, yo. Like I was like, yo, I didn't know you were that good. Ty Babylonian, you better bring
0: it back. That's
4: all I know. That's the last skaters I know. <laughs> But or right Debbie, now, what's your name? Sure. If you go to Cascade on Sundays, or you go That's to Sp- oh, oh, Jermaine will call me and be like, "Yo, Sunday, what you doing? Let's go skating."
0: Oh, I could see wow. Jermaine wow. skating Still with right his now. hand on somebody's back, yeah. like doing oh, yeah. the joint.
4: and we went to Black New York skates. for the uh, for the for flippers, right? Because right. Jimmy <laughs> Iovine <Jimmy, laughs> and them are opening um, the skating to flippers at Thirty Rock. Yeah. Yes, we went to New York for that, but yeah, the skate culture here has always been super strong. Still, and when I did ATL, the crazy part about it is I went and got the same guys. That I was skating with, cause they still skating. Yeah. So all those dudes in the movie, they still at like, Cascade. They still skating. That's so the authentic
1: like, Atlanta. That's it. Now, do you skateboard as well, or is it like, is there a skate we culture was as well?
4: Skateboarding more when we was younger, yeah. but then once we started getting to the, cause our skate culture here's so competitive. Like once we have our like. 10 people in the line and you know and, oh
3: y'all
0: really hey like, get that shit out of the
4: way gr- hitting folks on the bus to get out the <laughs> way oh, why, yeah, right, does yeah. Yeah. the express line have to be the outer line
1: right <laughs> that's like, a good question to me. <laughs> what about
4: geriatric skating so I can <laughs> excuse me <laughs> and it be going so fast like once you get going you don't realize how fast you're really going I love it and I'm, if you fall like all the people in your line they're gonna get it so like it's, yeah. it, it becomes really intense it's man. like and, driving like,
0: wait you open the door though That's you open the drumline door so you told one story about one movie. Can yeah. you got to tell us a little something that we don't know about this movie and the fact that why did you choose that era of your life? Because what we know right now is you got a couple of movies, of about three or five <laughs> right. of your life. So please. Well,
4: it was it was when I first pitched Drumline, I was in a meeting with Fox and they were asking me about musicals. Like, hey, man, we need to try to find a way to do cool musicals again. And then I, I said, well, you can't break out doing singing in the rain. That ain't going to happen. You need an excuse <laughs> oh, like a, a marching band. And it was like a marching band what's interesting about that and in the meeting I was like oh it's about this kid that can't read music and he's in his marching band and so I kind of pitched the whole my story to them in the meeting and then a couple of days later they called back and said we want to make this film right. and I said all right cool so we started making it we started like developing it and by the time the script got to a point where it was done it was written by this girl Sean Sheps, at first but she just did bring it on too or something oh wow. and Who? so when they wrote it I was like oh there's a lot of movies. I was like oh no this ain't it. yeah. it's so lunch. this ain't it oh, that's right and then they um and so Fox was like, Oh, that's not it. Okay, well we're gonna put it in you know, we're gonna sit it over here then and let it just sit. And I'm like, No, well we'll give it back to me. Yeah. They said, No, 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 we don't we can't give it back to you, you know, <laughs> because we bought it and we wanna put it in we put it in a turnaround, which is like they got it, they own it, they don't wanna make it, but they don't want nobody else to make uh-huh. it either. Because it does, if that happens, then it doesn't look right, right? So now the movie's sitting. You mean if it gets successful, then...
0: Not through them. Not, right? not through them. Yeah, like yeah. sitting
4: on an artist. right. Yeah, I so they have so many movies they put in turnaround where they just sit. And then later on, they'll go back and go, oh, you know what? We got one of those somewhere, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So
4: it was sitting and it was sitting. And I was like, I got to get my movie back. So I called Quincy Jones. And I said, yo, man, one, one of the things Quincy showed me before was um, I was at his house one time and he he goes, uh, Dallas, look at, um, look at this video so I look at the video and it's, it's Oprah Danny Glover and they look busted like they just got off the bus at the West End Mall they got on green <laughs> the West End Mall <laughs> I mean they look like rough and they're in this like high school theater and they're rehearsing lines for The Color Purple and wow. so and you can see the, the, the VHS tape at the bottom that and stuff dope. so he's going out uh, he said so let me ask you a question He said who's holding the camera I said you are mm-hmm. said nope Steven Spielberg wow I said he's holding the camcorder So said yeah he said, because I needed a scene, a train scene It was going to cost me more than $13 million to make the movie. And they, they were saying that black movies don't go over $7 million, so they wasn't going to give it to me. So I, I, when I got my friend Stephen, and I said, okay, Steven, you direct this for me? He said, yeah. He said, okay. So that turned everything around. I said, oh, that's why Steven, I never understood Steven Spielberg yeah, directing color-, color Purple. He didn't so didn't he goes, this one, he said, this is what I'm going to tell you. You want to get that movie made? Find a friend of yours that's Jewish.
3: Uh,
0: well, we that's the wow. That so- was his...
4: So, check out what I did. I called Jody Gerson That's yeah. my Publishing. Right. Yeah. She's my publisher at the time. So, I said, Jody, Quincy said, I need to find somebody Jewish. You're my, <laughs> you're my closest Jewish friend. How do I get this movie made? She goes, Okay, can I come on as a producer? I said, Yeah. She said, Cool, because I'm going to bring in my other friend, Wendy Feynman. I said, Who's All that? Nice. She said, Well, she just finished Forrest Gump and Castaway.
0: Shit. That was
4: shit. So, I walked back in Fox years later. I was trying to talk them out of the movie. I want to get this movie back because I was going to take it somewhere else. And them said, but you know, um, she, uh, but Wendy Feynman is going to work on it with me. They said, what? They said, hold on. The you Wendy got Feinderman? Wendy Feinerman to work on this this marching band movie. It's black. I'm, I'm like, yeah. Marching she band said, band? okay. Well, I'm going to tell you like this. Uh, can it take place in college? I said, it's bigger in college than, than in high school. She said okay, we got to make this movie. I said, I was trying to talk y'all out of it. She said, no, no, we got to make this movie. I was like, oh, it's just hip hop kid, can't read music. But, no, they said, got to make it. So Wendy was like, all right, I have no idea what this is about. I'm just gonna for you off. I'm probably gonna make a lot of money and you're not, if it's successful. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna make it so you can make the movie exactly how you want to make it. And so when I came back to Atlanta, and I was in Miami during that time, I had moved and started doing Blue Cantrell and Pink oh, and Black yes, and all this yes, stuff out yes. of Miami. Um, and I came back and Charlotte was like, yo, you got to come back. They're scouting for Drumline and they need you here to, for locations and all this and that. So then it started to turn real. And I'm like, all right, this is a this is about, you know, I'm looking at Orlando Jones and Jamie Foxx and different people for the Dr. Lee, Dr. And, Lee. And as we were starting to get going and it started to really turn into the movie and the script and stuff started to get developed the right way, but Tina Chisholm, who um she's incredible. And she kind of like, you know, from that point, she knew how to tell my stories because she would be around me all the time. So we went back, started shooting a movie here. Everybody I called to, to all the rappers, like, nope. I they like, said no. Nope.
0: A, a movie about a band. I called
4: Luda. I called everybody, yo, yo, I need this part. I need a rapper for the field. And they, I think they thought I was doing I got the hook up. That's how you got Pete Pavlo. That's how I got Peter Pavlo uh, <laughs> <laughs> So Luda said who who was your initial asks? Was, Luda was Luda was first. Uh who else was around here then? Um it was like two more Atlanta, you know, like, I think it was Outkast like I know two they more regret jam. that shit now. Uh, But nobody knew the magnitude because, you know, in all fairness, nobody had seen anything like it to hit Atlanta. And so then as I'm making the movie, it got to a point where it started to go over budget because obviously I'm recording 300-piece marching bands that I have to use for playback. So I got to record them first, write the songs like they're out now, record them on the marching band so you can use it for playback at the field, right? Mm -hmm. Started going over budget. So then Fox called. They said, yo... This movie's turning into an $18 million movie mm-hmm. instead of a 15 13 Put right. white people in it. We need white bands. I'm wow. like, white bands? White right bands? They
0: don't, I was they like, don't hold on, wait, body. wait. Yeah, they don't do that.
4: Baby. So he's like, I don't care. It's a pop movie now. White bands. So now I got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got Georgia State, Georgia Tech. And he just like... <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I'm like, dude. And this, I can't put this. This looks horrible. I can't put this in the movie. Already, the bands don't want to be in the movie because they don't want like, right. to lose. Yo, shout out to
0: Famu, Famu, and our film our, crew. Our, our film
4: is all Famu. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yo, Famu was not going in Drumline because they was like, we're not losing to nobody. Yeah. We was like, so well, that's we're true. Okay. Well, that's why we're making Whatever. a fake band because we don't want anybody's band to lose to anybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They said, nope. We don't care if it's a fake band. Even we hypothetically ain't. with another title, they didn't want it. <laughs> so, ah. They just didn't want to have fam you losing to uh North Atlanta A and T, which ain't even a school. It ain't <laughs> the <worst> school. So <laughs> They had A and T colors, but it wasn't, you know. Yeah, man. Was... But when and but so I, I put the white bands in and then at the end I looked, I said, This is horrible. This is making these schools look really bad. And that's not what they're supposed to do either. So he said, "You got to find some kind of narrative line." And so I went. How am I going to do this? So I went to um, went to the school, Morris Brown, and I saw this white kid in okay, the band. Okay, that was
0: Morris Brown. Okay, uh-huh.
4: so I saw this white kid in the yeah. band with red hair, and <laughs> I was like, okay. "So how did you get here? What's well, Tell me your story." He's like, "Man, I lived down the street. I always wanted to be in this band since I was little." And I was like, "Okay, there we go. We yeah. got we got a catch now," yeah. and. Then, by the time I edited the movie and took all the white bands out, then, you know, you look on the DVD, it still got the white bands in there. For mm-hmm. like, they call them white bands it's all white tape truth when you look at Georgia Tech or Georgia, yeah. you know. But then uh, the great part about it was, you know, seeing when, when Drumline, when I finally got it right, because um, I always said it did not belong to me, it belongs to everybody in the band. I'm telling my story, but if I don't tell it like it is, a culture. I got to get it right. Yeah. I got to hit it on the head and it's right. If I get it wrong, it's just no, right? And so on the release date, I would go around to the theaters and see them sold out in Atlanta and everybody would be in marching band outfits. Wow. <sighs> okay. And me and my mom would just ride around being like, dang. And it took me 10 years. 10 years of every day making that film. And then um, because I wanted to do ATL next, they tried to get me to go to New Orleans. And so I ended up bringing the New Orleans bill to Atlanta and passing the film bill here. Ah. Oh, so that's why okay. Okay. that's, how I feel that's why that people pass. come to shoot in Atlanta. Yeah.
0: Does Tyler Perry thank I,
4: you? All of us. It, it cost me like 200 grand passing that bill back then. I had to do Shit. lobbying. So do you're that. the reason
1: oh, why wow. the Georgia logo comes on damn near every uh, everything. The peach. Yeah.
4: Wow. wow. You no, know, I was just trying to get ATL done back then. And so Governor Perdue, um, he he basically said, okay, well, I don't know what to do. You tell us what to do. And we kind of came up with the plan that's the Georgia film bill now. And did the ribbon cutting, spoke at the G8 summit, and all that stuff um, on behalf of Georgia, so we can have what we have now going on.
0: Hey, y'all! It's Ly here from Team Supreme. Okay, so right here is where we're going to end part one of The Quest Left Supreme with Dallas Austin. You're going to want to stay tuned for part two because this is when Dallas talks about working with Michael Jackson and Madonna and he tells some really dope stories about the group Illegal and producing Must Be the Money for Deion Sanders. Remember that? (laughs) This was like one of our favorite episodes. And don't forget, we were actually live in Atlanta for this. So make sure you check out part two when it becomes
1: available. See y'all. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is Sheep Pivots. The podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.